0: Father, um, you've already done more than we can ask, imagine, or think. And so it's um, just amazing to us that you would continue to shower favor on us. Um, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also with him give us all things? And so we cling to that promise. As we walk in obedience, as we walk in faith, as we are not always able to see the next step, but we know that our Father is watching and our Father is there with us and that Christ um, is leading the charge. So we ask for your favor even on today's service as we uh, move into hearing from the Word of God. Uh, God, would you soften our hearts, would you remove distractions from our heads and our hearts so that we can hear your word clearly. Uh, Father, your word does not return void, and that's your promise, so we're grateful for that and we're expectant that you will use it this morning in our hearts and our lives and our families and in our church uh, for our joy and for your glory. Uh, Lord, just so much darkness in the world, in our city, in our homes, and we can't do it without you. We're silly to to think that we can walk through this life in our own strength, and our own abilities. And so, God, would you help us see you, help us look to you. Uh, Lord, I I just pray for families that have experienced loss this week. Uh, Let them taste the sweetness of your comfort, uh, the sweetness of your words, the sweetness of your promises. Um and be a stronghold to those families this week. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are not able to enjoy a worship service like this this morning, Lord, that may be in a cell somewhere or being tortured somewhere because they will not deny you. I pray for comfort for those families and those folks that are doing that for your glory. Lord, would you bring people to Christ because of that, Would you draw people to Christ because of your preached word this morning, because of the suffering that's going on around the world uh, with the saints? Would you use each circumstance to bring glory to your name, to raise Christ high and lift it up, and so people will say, I want that. Would you do that this morning in this room? Would you empower Richard in his words? Would the Spirit speak through him to us this morning in Christ's name? Amen. Amen.
1: Many of you um, that are near my age probably grew up reading at times in the 90s the the works of Frank Peretti and interesting they, these works uh, sort of under the umbrella of this present darkness sort of a spiritual warfare series were written well after a, a series a five year series of burnout for him as a pastor. A series of failures led him to discover that God was not calling him to run a banjo business, not calling him to pastor a church, not calling him to work in the movie industry, not causing him to specialize in Christian radio. So he eventually got a job in a ski factory, moved into a 24-foot trailer with his wife, and there wrote This Present Darkness, and it later turned into a bestseller Multi million copy book. But not after 13 rejections from publishers who said it wasn't good enough for them to take. And after reflecting upon his long and winding career, Frank Freddie has this to say about Christianity. If you were into fast food Christianity, you will never experience the fullness of God's blessings. Well, we are into fast food Christianity, aren't we? we? We sort of regard God and the whole act of praying as sort of a restaurant. So we pull up to McSteeples and we pull up to window number one and we place our order. And then by the time we pull up to window number two, we think the prayer should be ready. And when all of a sudden we find out that there's going to be a delay and we have to pray some more about it, we have a tendency to quit our praying, and that's why Jesus instructed us, as He did in Luke chapter 18. Then Jesus told His disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray. That's the positive aspect of His command. Then the negative aspect is, and not pray. Give up. So you can tell just by verse one, before we even get to the story that he tells, you could tell that he is knows that we are inclined as a people to give up in prayer. I think the greatest incentive that I could as I take you and we take you through this limitless series, which is really nothing more than a call to prayer, and I got tickled this week as I was looking back through notes of the last time that we had this sort of this epic call to prayer, was back in 2009. Obviously, there are many uh, weeks along the way that in every series we preach, we touch on prayer, but the last time that we said we're going to get into this for weeks and weeks of calling our church to prayer because of how much we knew was 2009, and we also began that series by printing banners and putting them all over the church, and it launched a prayer series that Martha and Stan and George Browning and others launched way in the back and they were at Green Banners. I just thought it was interesting. We decided to launch that We must be something about printing banners and a prayer series. But I don't think there's anything more inspiring about believing in the rightness of prayer than looking at either the example or the, uh, the instruction of Jesus Christ when He says, Pray. Here is the Son of God having full access to God, only separated by the skin of humanity that he chose to to wear, the self-imposed limitations that he chose when he he hopped into the body of a man. And yet there was no one that prayed on earth more than Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you, we have not the remotest conception of what happens when we pray. We all have to admit that. We don't really know what happens when we pray, but the one thing that we know is that Jesus Christ laid all emphasis on prayer. That's what we know. By his teaching and by his doing, he said, pray. God has chosen to accomplish his purposes in the world, always beginning through a praying People. The word prayer in its verb form is used some 250 times in the Bible, so its call, you should pray, is found on many pages of the Scripture. The Word of God is filled with commands to pray, and it's amazing what happens when God's people pray. Armies are destroyed when people pray. The mouths of lions are shut when people pray. Giants are defeated by a little shepherd boy when people pray. The sun stops moving when people pray. So all over the Scripture we see the power of prayer. And you're never going to understand why it works and how it works. We just know that Scripture puts a lot of emphasis on prayer. Ian e. Bound says, Praying men are the only men. "...who have influence with God, the only man to whom God commits himself and his gospel, only, only God, is true, only God can move mountains, but faith and prayer move God." So this is the hope that there is always somewhere in some city, a church, and in that church there is someone who's possessed with a passion for prayer, and that is my goal for this series." I am so excited about it, and it's not like I am, I do have a desire that there would be this church-wide revival of prayer, asking for that, I certainly will take that, that would be the greatest, but I still am holding out that this series will um, yield a new person that's never before grasp that they have the power to move the arm of God through their praying. And it's happened to all of us at different times in life where all of a sudden you realize God is calling you to extraordinary prayer. And so we begin this series, this is week number three in this series called Limitless, and um, you know, which is the power of prayer. So three weeks ago we looked at limitless power. We have limitless power to bring glory to God through prayer. Then last week we, we looked at limitless power to defeat spiritual or to defeat um, the influence of evil in the world through prayer. Today we're going to look at where we have limitless help from God when we are oppressed. And next week I'm very excited of the offer of limitless peace. That comes through continual prayer. And so today we look at limitless help. I love what uh, Laura Timmons, our uh, director of ministry to children uh, at HP Kids, uh, for children that are up to, to, to fifth grade, she said, sent me a text last week, and she said, um, I hope this series lasts six months. And I said, she said, any idea how long it's going to last? I said, you know better. I said, I didn't know we were going to do this series until God got me right in the middle of it and stirred my heart with a, all of a sudden, it just opened my eyes with how greatly we needed prayer at this time. And I don't know when he's going to, to, to stop it. But I know he's going to call someone and hopefully a lot more than one to a very special You're going to take this church into the next 15 years because of your prayer life. And you are needed more than you know. Now let's return to the parable we start today. Jesus said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my enemy, my adversary. For some time, the judge refused. But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, or I don't care about men, don't care about this woman, don't care about widows, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. I love the skill by which Jesus tells stories. He wants to, his goal, remember parables only have one purpose. It's not like they got a bunch of purposes. Parables only have one point, they only have one purpose, and his goal is to teach us about the need that we should be persevering in prayer. That's the point of the parable. So he places a needy woman, a widow, a helpless person before a godless pagan in power as a judge and she is granted her request. She has her needs met, not because of his heart, but because of her perseverance. So the point is the power of perseverance. And then this, of course, sets us up to the good news in the text, that there is a God to whom we pray that does have a heart, unlike this judge. Luke 18 7. That's when Jesus, sort of the master storyteller, sort of surprises us. And will not God bring about justice? Because he's just. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see. That they get justice and get it quickly. <clears throat> so when you read Luke 18 and you reread it, maybe later this afternoon, you need to picture all of the, the the nuances in in English and different English versions. You might want to read it in four or five different English versions, especially some of those that have fun paraphrasing and help you get a sort of a baptized imagination of what the Greek is trying to say. But it literally paints a picture of a woman who comes before a judge and is pounding so hard on his chest, the the judge is afraid that he's going to get a black eye that she is slinging fist, help me, help me, help me. And he's a pagan judge who does not care about widows, but because of her wildness in her asking says, just to get you away from me, I will grant you your request. And then Jesus turns it around and says, wow, if perseverance works with a pagan judge, just think what perseverance does with a heavenly father who chooses you and loves you. What an incentive to pray that we have a just God. But still, the principle, the emphasis is not really on God in this story. The emphasis is on the pounding. That's why he told it. The emphasis is on the asking. Like it or not, asking is the rule of the kingdom. So if you say, I'm, just, I'm not into asking, I'm not into humbling myself and admitting need, you can't be in the kingdom. Everything is about praying, everything is about asking, it's how God has designed the kingdom. The kingdom moves by the askers. Martin Luther, we, we, you know, back in the 16th century, we can look at the results of his work in the Reformation and say the man shook the world for God, and he did And he was was busy with his writing, so prolific in his teaching. But what I love about Luther is, is, is this quote. He says, Work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much work to do, I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. You know, a lot of us regard prayer as we say that, you know, it almost, we say, it minimizes work. I mean that that's wrong, but we say we well we people see it as an anti-work thing, and, and prayer doesn't mean our efforts are meaningless. Prayer simply means that our efforts are maximized. You can imagine a fish that's on the shore, all flopping around, floundering, and he just can't get anywhere. You know, now, but all of a sudden, a huge wave. Crashes on the shore and washes him back into the water. And now all of his flopping is efficient because he's engulfed in a wave of water. This is what prayer does. It doesn't mean that we are any less floppy. We, I, I, don't think, I don't think there is a... I, don't, I haven't met a pastor that I know personally who would work harder at this thing Sunday morning than myself. Maybe... I don't know of one. So work work from early until late. Just do it in the wave of prayer so that my efforts are maximized. Your work is very meaningful at your job, at home, in this church. Work, 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 work. Do it in the wave of prayer so that you're not a floppy fish on the seashore Where your energy is doing nothing. So, Jesus tells us the best stories, and this one is no exception. Let me tell you why I like this story. I like it because he's got the guts to be transparent to tell us at the beginning of all of this kingdom life that the answers that you want for all the things that are on your heart are going to come slowly. I just love when, you know, when I love to hear Dan teach. Um, at, the, uh, at, the, at the new member of the starting point class. And at the end of the class, everybody who wants to join this church is fully aware of expectations. Like there are no surprises when people join this church. It's like, this is exactly who we are. And Jesus says, this is exactly what the kingdom is like. Prayer and what you're praying about is going to be slow business, a lot of waiting. And he tells us that in this parable. Now, what I would like to do today is give you Maybe seven reasons for the why of waiting in prayer. Why is waiting necessary? Number one, and some of these have scripture that I want to support my principle with. Some of them don't. I think they're. I regard them all as as they're not all from they're they're not from Luke 18. So we're gathering them, but you just decide how they're going to speak to you. Some. How we're going to support these, but I, as a reader, I, I ask the question: Why, why wait, Jesus? Why'd you tell a story? Why wait? Here's seven things that resonated with me this week of why would He have us wait in prayer? Number one, to remind us that God alone is our provider. Do you remember the one of the first things that God taught the Israelites? God taught His people in the Old Testament wanted them to know. When they begin their journey and we're starting to see a little bit of success, when he rescued them from the most powerful army in the world, the first thing that he warned them about was the danger, the trap of self-sufficiency. So this is what God told them in, in um, Deuteronomy 8. You may, it's a possibility, you could say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember... The Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability. So delays in prayer remind us that God is God and we are not. That's why he says, wait. It reminds us that the power never lies with you. The first and worst enemy of spiritual revival is pride. And if God gave you too much, too quick, too young Uh, Personally and as a church, uh, that's the main door by which the devil comes and ruins you. And I'll tell you, after 30 years of ministry and meeting the most gorgeous people in business and in ministry, gifted people, skilled people, um, people filled with, I mean, just the Lord has just set before them numerous opportunities, numerous abilities, and wow, wow. Have they done big things for God? I mean, there's no doubt, but you can't deny it. I mean, they are just shakers and movers. But as I look at every one of their lives, I'm telling you, you can, as those people that I really know well, it's like you can look at periods of their life where God has crushed them. I mean, so much that you just want to say, God, if you crush them anymore, they're just going to stop breathing And then he lifted his hand off, and then they were ready for use. But God does this so that we will not think the power is with us. Number two, the reason why God asks us to wait to increase our passion about the request Do you remember what Jesus, he taught about prayer all the time with his disciples, and they never got it. He told them, you need to pray for yourself so that you'll not fall into temptation. He told them, make sure you pray for missionaries. He said, pray for the harvest, pray for people to go around the globe telling the gospel. And then on the last night of his life, he said, hey, 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 guys, pray for me. I'm really, really under attack this night. And that's when they were at their, their worst. They were asleep. But they were basically asleep for three years while he was talking about prayer. But when he ascended to heaven and he was no longer with them physically, they woke up. And look how they're praying now in Acts chapter 4 when their lives are threatened and it looks like the gospel is about to be stopped because of the power of the Roman government. Acts chapter 4, now, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders throughout the name of your holy servant. Whoa, now do they have a dose of passion. So that's why God asks us to wait. It increases our passion about the thing for which we are praying. I'll tell you this. If your prayers don't mean anything to you, very likely they do not mean anything to God. (laughs) John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, used to say it this way. It would be better for your heart to be without words, like you just can't get it out, than for your words to be without a heart. So... Don't worry if you're not not a great prayer, but your heart's broken for the world. That's a good thing. But if you can just pray like crazy and not feel it, that's that's a dangerous thing. So waiting increases our passion. Increases our passion for the thing we are praying about. Number three, why does God make us wait? To more greatly value the Lord's answers. A child who is granted everything that he asks for immediately... I think we have a name for that. Brat. And that child is no fun to be around. Just spoil that child and they're not fun to be around because the first time a parent says, no, you're not getting that, that is zero fun to be around that little young life. And if God answered every prayer quickly, You would miss the greater blessing of being transformed into a patient, waiting, trusting, grateful, humble child. You would miss the greater blessing of you yourself pounding on God's chest, drenching His robes with your tears. He doesn't want you to miss that intimacy with Him. And let me say that's really what prayer is about. It's really about you holding on to God no matter what. Do you know when I used to go to Mom and Dad's for Christmas, we would drive down from from Spartanburg and we'd drive down to North Augusta. And, and, uh, you know, you do the Christmas Gift giving, but you know, after a while, when your parents are in their 60s and 70s, and like, and then you're, you know, you're 40 and 50, it's nothing to give anybody anymore. It's like you just, so you don't go for the gifts. And so, so what's then, what's Christmas about with them? It's really about Christmas dinner, just being with them. Prayer is not about the gifts. It's about pounding and hugging and crying with God and being with God and then letting Him figure out the gifts that you need and don't need. But prayer is not just always about the child getting everything he wants for Christmas. It's about dinner with God. Hanging out with God. That's when your heart's broken and you just keep going to God with a broken heart, that's, sort of, that's the goal. God. God. Number four. Why does God uh, make us wait to maximize our effectiveness? If God were to answer our prayer now, if God were to give you what you want now, and yet it's going to prevent you from serving Him greatly later, He will not do that to you. God has allowed cancer to shape so much of my life beginning at age 32. I mean, four major surgeries on my right hip, major surgery left lung, and then just tons of stuff in between. Daily. Not a step I don't feel in my right leg, not a, not a day goes by that just trying to control the swelling in my right leg. And, and I can remember the, the, the faith healers that just knew back in 92, 93, 94 that God was, it was His will that I be healed apart from surgery. Listen, I have been anointed so many times with oil that I'm just slippery. It was not God's will to heal me in that manner. It was His will that everything happened at Emory and so many connections and so many evangelistic opportunities and so many open doors to share the gospel. My effectiveness in gospel witness and my effectiveness in experiencing God I mean, I don't think there's anybody that looks more forward to resurrection than me in terms of right hip. (laughs) Can't wait. Can't wait. Number five, to cause us to evaluate the spiritual condition of our lives, to take an inventory, to see what's there or to see what shouldn't be there. Um, Let's read Isaiah 59. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor His ear too dull to hear, but it's your sin. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden His face from you so that He will not hear. So this verse says that, uh, you know, Uh, When our prayers are not answered, it's not a problem with God's power. And it's not a problem with God's awareness. I mean, it's not like you call to heaven and said, uh, Welcome to Divine International. Can I put you on hold for a moment? It's, It's not that He's not there. He says sometimes it's sin in your life. And if God answers your prayer while you're living in sin, it will be an affirmation that all is well with your soul, and it is likely that you'll continue in that sin. So he withholds answer, so you'll take an inventory of your life and repent. Number six, to increase our love for praying. No verse here, just a great quote from our friend Charles Spurgeon. The more we pray, the more we shall want to pray, and the more we pray, the more we can pray. Number seven, why the delay in prayer? Because a long war requires many battles. And I know there's people in this congregation who fought overseas, fought in conflict, times of conflict, and they just know that war is not settled quickly. There are many, many battles that are fought before wars come to an end. You remember, you know, when we, when we first started this limitless series in Ephesians 3, I mean, it's like, man, I, I had... I mean, it's like I had a no-miss text, Ephesians 3. To him who's able to do exceedingly more than we can ask or imagine. And man, it's like the whole church leaving. Woo! Man, let's go. Like, we just asked for it. You know, this is going to be great. Well, it is great. But that's Ephesians 3. Turn over three chapters in your Bible and you come to What you're up against with this, Ephesians 6, for our struggle is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So if you're going to lock in on this limitless series, you say, I'm going to really give myself to praying. What you're doing is you're engaging the enemy's territory and you're going into his territory through prayer. And you're saying, I'm going to engage in prayer in this city and overseas and in my family, among my workplace and in high schools. Had another suicide this week in our schools. Again, clearly as I told you last week, I believe death of that nature is because of the work of evil influences inspiring inspiring. Our young people to think hopeless thoughts, to say hopeless things, to discourage each other from life. And so we're going to go into schools through prayer, and we're going to take kids through prayer out of the enemy's territory. You don't think the devil's going to stop you? You don't think he's going to discourage you from praying? You're walking into the devil's territory through prayer, What else did you think was going to happen to your life and your family? Well, man, since we started this Limitless series, everything is falling apart at home. Of course it is. If you were doing anything of worth, the enemy will do everything in his power to stop it. So don't read Ephesians 3 unless you're going to read Ephesians 6. A long war requires many battles. Let me just, I don't have a long time to go into this. My monitor in front of me is broken. I made fun of Hunter a minute ago during Dan's prayer. Hunter came up to me, and uh, it's black. Normally I could tell how much time I've got, what my next slide is coming up. and They just set my stand up, and Hunter came at me. I just want to let you know your, your monitor in front of you is broken. <laughs> I said, any, any other substantial news you want to sh- <laughs> share with me today? It's just black. So that says 1057. I'll make this very quick on this point. Daniel chapter 10. Daniel just received news of a of a war that a world war I mean like a like in the Middle East big time war he's discouraged he begins to fast and pray for 3 weeks just like you would if you th- saw today like let's say Israel's in conflict and terrible loss of life Daniel is praying he's hurting fasting and praying for 3 weeks he doesn't understand the war that he's been given this vision of and there's no word from heaven for 3 weeks and finally an angel comes an angel from heaven and explains why there's been silence for three weeks. Daniel 10, verse 12. This angel tells him, Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom, that's a demon. That's the demon who was, stu- who was in charge of this war in Persia, modern-day Iraq. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Prayer is not about checking boxes, saying, I've been, I'm part of the Limitless series. Oh, and by the way, we do want you to be a part of the Limitless series. We have a total now of 600 people that have downloaded the app so that at 3.20 every day, if you'll download the Hope Point app, at 3:20, every day we send out a prayer. It's only 140 characters long, but it'll remind you to pray for this church. Because that's why we want you to pray. There are demons that are sitting on top of that building on Asheville Highway, that are ruining lives and families of neighborhoods behind Asheville Highway. And if you don't believe that, it's because you don't believe the Bible. Man. It is serious business when we start to pray. Please pray so that liberation can occur on Asheville Highway and to all of our sister churches where they serve in the city and the county. Oh, it's big time business. When you're praying, things are happening in the spiritual places that you can hardly imagine. Now let me close with this story because this affects almost everybody in this room, especially for those of you who are parents Whenever I read about Luke chapter 18, I think about a conversion, a most unlikely conversion of a man named um, Augustine, St. Augustine. You might have grown up calling him Augustine. He he lived from 354 to 430 A.D. And nobody has influenced the church like the mind of Augustine. Other than the Apostle Paul, nobody has written. He, we have five million of Augustine's words left, and he influenced medieval Christianity and modern Christianity Nobody, only Scripture is more theologically, is theologically deeper than the writings of Augustine. But he did a lot of sinning, (sighs) a lot of sinning before he got there. He grew up in North Africa. He was schooled in Carthage in North Africa. Then he taught rhetoric in Rome and Milan He took a mistress while he was in Carthage, lived with her her for 15 years, fathered out of of wedlock, a, a child by this mistress. He was an alcoholic. He was prone to, he was a sexual addict, lived a very hedonistic lifestyle, but he had a mother, pagan father, no influence in his life for good, pagan father. He had a mother named Monica who would not stop praying and there were about three major influences that, that were part of his conversion, but his mother's prayers. And he writes about his mother's prayers in his book, The Confessions. Let me, It's way too long to put on PowerPoint. I just want to read this to you. Uh, this is in The Confessions. And he's praying to God. You stretched out your hand from on high. And pulled my soul out of these murky depths because my mother, who was faithful to you, was weeping for me more bitterly than mothers would weep for the bodily death of their children. O Lord, you heard her and did not scorn those tears of hers which gushed forth and watered the ground beneath her eyes wherever she prayed. You did hear her, how else could I account for that dream that you gave her? Monica dreamed one night of a man radiant in white, came to her when she was praying, smiling at her and said, why are you grieving? She said, my son is dying in sin, and Monica was at that time in the vision, was standing on what she later interpreted was a wooden baptismal, and the man whom she later said must have been Jesus Christ said, your son will stand with you where you are standing. She woke up, and here's what follows. Nearly, this is Augustine writing, nearly nine years were to follow after the vision. Nearly nine years were to follow, during which I floundered in the mud of the deep and the darkness of deception. Yet through those years, my mother, a chaste, God-fearing, sensible widow, though more eager in her hope, was no less assiduous, tireless in her weeping and entreaty, praying, Never at any time ceasing her prayers to you about me. And he was saved. Luke 18, 7. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth when Jesus returns will he find hope point at prayer let's pray